Hey everyone, it's Lucas checking in once again. First of all, thank you for pressing play on the Life and Wait podcast. Last week we hit our first milestone of 100 plays on our podcast. I can't, I think I can speak for myself, Jared, and Evan when I say thank you for helping us reach this goal. You can help us reach our next milestone of 500 plays by sharing our podcast on social media, or even better, you can just tell your friends how great the Life and Wait podcast is. That's not why you click the play button on this episode, though. Last week we had the pleasure to join Craig Jonas as a co-host. This week, we have an even greater treat to have the opportunity to interview Craig, who is essentially an aircraft refueler. This is just the first of many interviews we're planning to have on the show. If you are in the aviation industry, let us know in our social media DMs. We want to interview. Before I talk too much more, let's get right into your aviation discussion. Breaker 5719, runway 27 line of voyage, every 5 mile final cross the runoff. 27 line of voyage, Breaker 5719. Yep, I'm the last podcast. 2910, runway 27, clear for takeoff, fly runway heading. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Line Up and Wave podcast. My name is Evan. My name is Jared. My name is Craig. And uh, after a couple weeks of absence, I'm back on the show. So. We got some spicy discussion to go ahead and dive into, so let's do that. All right, so as we kind of previewed during our last episode, we're going to uh, be conducting a, a little bit of an interview with Craig. Uh, Craig has, um, actually, I'll let uh, you, Craig, kind of introduce yourself, uh, kind of share with everyone a little bit about what you do. Sure, so... As mentioned in the preview of the previous episode, I am a line service technician at the Tri-Cities Airport. Um, and I did say that that could uh, be confusing. It could be a confusing job title. Basically, what that implies is I'm an aircraft fueler. I fuel aircraft big and small from a Cessna 172 to a Boeing 737 and Airbus 320, 319, you name it. Um, I've been doing it now for about six months uh, but previously I used to work for the contractor for Delta Airlines and I also started out my aviation career uh, with the Velo Airlines which is a new startup airline that we did discuss a little bit in the previous episode uh, when they started service here at the Tri-Cities Airport. I did that for a couple months, did the, the contracting thing with Delta for a couple months and then ultimately found myself back uh, to this new job being a line service tech. So I've thoroughly enjoyed it uh, for the past six months that I've been doing it. So quick question. Out of all the aviation-related jobs you've had so far, what do you think is your favorite and why? I would have to say, and I'm not trying to be biased or anything, that um, being a line service tech is by far the most enjoyable job I've had in this industry so far just because of yeah, the different the things, variety. the variety, the things we see each and every day. Um, and it, I don't have to continuously deal with angry passengers, missing bags, <laughs> or messed up reservations. The list goes on and on. But I just like it because of the variety. And there, you get to feel and see so many different types of aircraft, corporate, airlines, military, general aviation. It's it's really awesome. So I like it the most, uh, this job. That's cool. That's super cool. Um, so out of everything that you've done at your current job, what's like, would you say the coolest aircraft or something? What is the coolest thing you've done 
or coolest aircraft you've seen? Uh, so or both. Yeah. Answer, so both. coolest. Both those questions. Coolest aircraft I've seen. Let's see. So, not all aircraft, uh, unfortunately, will come to our my company I work for. There's a, a kind of a competitor here at our airport. So, so sometimes I'll go to them. But what I've seen so far in the military contract goes to this other competitor. Uh, we have uh, during the air show we had these the A10s this year. Last year I was a ramp boss, assistant ramp boss for the uh, the air show. There were some F35s, uh, Corsair or yeah, the Corsairs were here. Um, just awesome aircraft like that. It's just it's it's a humbling experience to be that close up to them and. An assist yeah, in some way, right. uh, but I'd say Those legendary planes. Yeah, exactly. But I will say I think the most enjoyable aircraft that I've got to feel so far, and it never gives me an issue. Is you can't go wrong with the classic seven thirty seven. Um, it's yeah. a really, in in my opinion, it's a piece of cake air, airplane to fuel. Uh, takes it like a charm. Takes a lot of fuel. Holds a lot more fuel than anybody thinks. Um, <laughs> each wing can, if all the tanks are made correctly, um, each wing tank, uh, their capacity is about 8,500 pounds topped off. So, so are these, are these BBJ conversions? No. So these, this is just like a, your standard uh, passenger 737, yeah. 7,800, um, even 900. I'm having fuel to BBJ. Uh, I have not filled a BBJ, but the closest thing I've got to a BBJ is a Prisoner Transport 737-400, which was huh. really cool to feel. Uh, definitely a little eerie having uh, the, yeah. <laughs> some of the government kind of standing around, the cops around you, but uh, <laughs> it was that was the so closest I got, like, yeah. That plane has like cargo compartments that were converted into fuel tanks or something crazy like that? If I'm not mistaken. On the BBJs, yes. This one, uh, no. They, they, it's just a sole. It old, just had big fuel tanks. Yeah. Yeah. Like the wings on this thing, I think held like nine thousand pounds, if I'm not mistaken. But um, dang, I, I think it just varies on how they want it to be made, how Boeing wants the plane to be made, um, yeah, how they want it made. But BBJs, I do know that to to hold more fuel, that the cargo compartments actually have a line. Uh, going into the fuel system to hold more uh, because obviously they can go more farther of a distance but that was going back to the, like the whole boeing business jet question that's as close as i've got so far to a boeing business jet but i have not actually fueled one yet how about those like super ultra long range business jets like like the gulf streams and the um bombardier globals how about any of those so I have got to fuel a Gulfstream 600 and 750, um, ch a couple challengers, uh, let's see, citations, pretty much, I'd say at least, I've, I've fueled every corporate jet that's kind of known out there at least once. Um, I haven't, I haven't fueled the global yet, that, that's still on my to-do oh, list, on the bucket list, list. yeah. Um, <laughs> But I will say, fueling these massive long-range corporate jets is—it's something else. Like, yeah, it, it, they can take so much fuel and go so far. It—it's so amazing to, and it's different. Like, cause most of the time, every day, like the standard thing is, you know, I'm gonna go fuel an airliner. They're gonna take a, 
certain amount of fuel it's it's typical but then you get that pop-up you know net jet sovereign or something that wants a total top off of fuel like just just a couple weeks ago there was one going to massachusetts direct from the tri-cities airport and uh the the captain came out and said yeah i, I needed a top off on the single point which is uh where we hook up the hose on the side of a fuselage or under the wing so he said keep pumping fuel until it stops and then i, I might need you to actually pour like pump fuel over wing because i need so much it ended up being over like 1300 gallons so it, jets like that they take a ton of fuel and gulf streams can take a ton uh, i haven't done a full top off of a gulf stream yet i don't think i ever will to be quite honest but i've, I've heard stories Unless where going to like hawaii or something or across the world for that matter i mean i've heard stories <laughs> yeah, right. of um gulf streams being topped off from other fbo's certain gulf streams were topped off at like 4400 gallons or 5000 gallons and it's just mind-boggling like it they take so much and it doesn't look like it but they can truly hold tons of fuel and go long distances these corporate jets yeah i saw a pretty interesting statistic it was like the las vegas airport fbo's i think cuz they have like one of the largest influx of private airline aircraft traffic in the world or something like that if it's not beaten by somewhere in europe i have no idea like south france i have no idea but it was like an insane amount of money just for fuel because there's the, all these people that are flying all across the u.s all across the world in their gulf streams globals whatever and it was it was like mind-boggling to see how much money you know like in one day people were this fbo was making just off of fuel yeah, that's the majority of money that we make at my company is from our jet fuel sales, and that's with airlines or corporate. But yeah, it I I believe that statistic because fuel is very expensive, especially in today's economy, and it's continuing to have its peaks and it, it's it's kind of fluctuating between up and down in the price right now. But at least for here, I've noticed. But it's it's definitely up there. I think our jet fuel is like seven forty eight with tax a gallon. Or Avgas is like high, high in the high sixes, I believe. So it's definitely not cheap, and I'm sure it's, it's way more expensive in you know Los Angeles or your Burbank area or in the oh, East yeah, Coast. 100%. So yeah, for sure. So you were talking earlier about how um, you know when you worked uh, for the contractor for De uh, for Delta and the contractor for Avello. Um, uh, you know, one of the parts about the job, uh, about those jobs you didn't really seem to miss much was, um, of course, the angry customers, the, you know, the whole having to figure out reservations and, and all of those um, other tasks that you had, um, you know, those would definitely be the least favorite parts of, a, you know, that one would um, probably have a, of a job like that. Um, what would your least favorite part of your current position as a line service tech be? Um, I would say probably the occasional uh, lab service. Uh, we still have to do lab. Um, and that might be a shock to some uh, based on that reaction, Evan. But um, yeah, technically, technically speaking here, line service technicians are also considered to be ramp agents still because they assist uh, with luggage on the corporate jets, uh, lab service, still do that. Um, Another thing that we all have our, our favorite planes and our not all not our planes are our those, favorites. I bet those. Yeah. Um, I bet those citations, those citations with the tiny labs. 
like literally just like a five gallon bucket under the under the lab is probably very very fun to do exactly it's and you're having to like crouch over and bend it's i did a lav on on a gulf stream and it was actually completely under the aircraft so i was underneath the aircraft doing the lav in like the center of the fuselage so it was it's it's definitely in some of these aircraft is it's very interesting um some of these have what they call what we call in this industry like a little donut where we hook up the hose to dump the goods and if you don't pull out that donut uh you're getting in a world of trouble the goodies so um but then going back to oh the i guess the like gasket thing yeah that pretty much holds back everything so watertight seal yeah. yeah and if you don't pull that off before you hook the hose up and you try to pull the lever to release it um and then you realize it has that and then you're going to pull it off and all that pressure is going to blow and i guess you can put two and two together <laughs> um even for a treat yes exactly um <laughs> i guess another thing that um wouldn't be my favorite every line service technician you'll talk to says they don't have like they have their favorite aircraft but they also have their least favorite aircraft whether that be to fuel do any type of service on it for me i was just about to ask you yeah that. for me um i would have to say and a lot of people will probably agree i might get some hate for it king airs are by far my most least favorite to fuel any type of kinger um just because the on like the super kingers um their fuel tanks like so you open the fuel cap and you put the nozzle in it's overwing the feeling's overwing uh you yeah. put the the nozzle in and there's like this kind of flap that you push it's like a piece of metal and you have to push through the flap oh and you have to hold and, it the entire time yeah and what the fuel does on these kingers is it fluctuates like up and down so if you get a fuel request to say top off the outboards and inboard tanks the outboards will take forever especially if um you know they're kind of empty um and it could trick you sometimes like the the fuel will come all the way up and you think all right it's topped off but as soon as you're pulling the nozzle out and letting that flap go back the fuel will go right back down again so there's been times where it's like I, I my gosh i've got like 130 gallons once and it's still not topped off and i'm like this is ridiculous and there's other times where yeah it's actually topped off i go to pull the nozzle out and i got fuel spilling a little bit so um it's kind of hit or miss with king airs um and also um i hate it because on the inboard tanks you're in a really awkward position you're pretty much between the in engine nacelle and the fuselage and you know with kingers they got massive props so you're trying not to to hit the props with the ladder or the the hose and then you're really kind of bent over at a weird angle because the fuel the inboard fuel tanks are sometimes on the actual engine to sell itself or behind it so kind of in the middle of the wing so if you kind of imagine oh, that and you, and you got hunched you're over. really yeah. hunched over and it's really awkward and especially if they want to top off it'll take a while so it could be kind of painful at times but kingers yeah they're on the top of my least favorite aircraft to fuel visually they are they look awesome but you know if i see a kinger on the schedule and there's a fuel thing tech or checked off it's going to probably put a little bad mood to my day but <laughs> yeah so going back to well maybe maybe this might be a little bit more off topic but 
um, s since <laughs> at least the people I know that have worked as on the line at airports, um, have you ever ran into somebody or have ever like gotten tipped a like insane amount of money or like what's the have, like do you get tipped first of all? So by people? Yes, I do. Um, it's not a lot. Um, I won't say who I get the most tips from, but it's definitely a well-known corporate business. Um, there's times where you, I think we I know do who you're talking about what's that. I think I know who you're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Um, continue. So uh, there, that's a big one. Uh, I have not personally in this past six and a half, almost six and a half months I've worked at this company. I've not, I've not haven't received a massive tip or something, but I have gotten small amounts of tips from from pilots or customers and it's it's a nice gesture i definitely appreciate it especially if it's really hot or really cold or we're trying to turn this airplane back around really quick it, it makes us feel appreciated and good so i definitely because uh, i've heard from people like the the like single pilot rich guy that comes in and his beach jet or his citation and you know tips the guy like 50 bucks i've just heard i've heard stories from people so i was just curious if you ever had an experience like that's that. that's that very accurate um i've had similar experiences not like 50 bucks or anything but definitely you know, a small small little tips um but it has happened to me and it happens i'd say a, a, a couple times every other week or it's kind of random uh there's busier times corporate wise in the year like uh we have duck hunting season that's fastly approaching here so we'll get a lot of corporate stuff here um very soon so you're telling me wait hold on I'm gonna slow you down. So you're telling me there's people that fly in their business jet to your airport to go hunt ducks. That is correct. <laughs> that um, sounds that sounds really cool. Yeah, there's these <laughs> yeah, people I are mean, made of yeah, money. The, so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're flying from their from their ranch, you know, that they built a runway on. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming that they, they have that kind of money. So uh yeah, we, we, we definitely have that things like that. Um there's low peaks and high peaks you name it um but uh you know christmas time holidays big name holidays um that's when it gets it gets busier with corporate stuff um airlines will always be airlines they're always going to need fuel always going to be busy um but yeah so so i um so full disclosure i was actually out in the tri-cities last month um and of course craig um um yeah, you gave me a really awesome opportunity to actually um, to job shadow you for a few hours, which was really awesome. Yeah, yeah, well. um, I really I really appreciated that. Um, but it also was uh, very um, it was a very insightful experience because, you know, for me, you know, I've seen, um, you know, people on the line fueling aircraft. Um, I saw that a lot when I was doing my own flight training. But I never really understood what a typical day was like until I actually, you know, job shadowed you that day so you know maybe to um to inform our listeners a little more as to what you know a typical day looks like you know we've obviously obviously kind of talked about certain aspects of your job but you know what does a typical day look like if of course um you know any day you work is typical so yeah typical day in the line service technician world um so my shift is 10 hours. Every shift at my company is 10 hours. I work from 10.30 a.m. to 10 or 8.30 p.m. Um, and I'm the closing shift. So typically when I get to work... Dang, that must be, that must be pretty rough. What's that? What's that? 
those hours, like to me as a, you know, student, those hours kind of seem rough. Uh, it uh, because you know you wake up in the morning, go straight to work, and you're home, and it's nighttime. Already. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. When I first started, I definitely thought that I'm like, man, I my whole day's gone. It's done. Um, but every shift is like I said, ten hours. So the opening shift is from three thirty in the morning to one thirty. We have a midday shift, which is 6 a.m. to 4, and then my shift, 10.30 to 8.30. So there really isn't any options to get less than 10 hours a day, per se. But um, going back to your question, Jared, I guess a typical day for me is I work Thursdays through Saturdays, so three days every week, and I, I uh, assist in the middle where, where needed. If someone needs a shift picked up, I'll, I'll go help out. But um, so Thursdays, I know for me personally, it's an Avello day which uh, I have to work around that. They take time to feel, they take quite a bit of feel. So when I get to work, I'm looking on my work or the work computer in the office um, and I'm checking that flight schedule to see what I have on the schedule for corporate stuff uh, for our student aircraft that are flying. Um, and I start making a mental game plan of, okay, I need to work around this, 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 and this, but I also need to be on time for the airlines and make sure I get I have enough fuel and my trucks are filled up for a velo later this evening. So I guess even if it's not a per se a velo day, like I just said, it's the same exact thing. I get, I try to get to work 15 to 20 minutes early. Even if I'm not on the clock yet, I'll start looking on the computer. I'm looking at things I have for the day, whether that be general aviation, corporate stuff, airlines. Cause I, I, I like to start making a plan in my head mentally. That way I know, okay, I've seen it already. If I have a question about something, um, reservation wise i can go ask their our front office and see if they have any more information on it it gives gives me a time to really start like i said planning my day out planning making that mental plan to work around it so i can be as efficient as i can and then when i start on, on getting on the clock that's when the real work begins yeah that, that's definitely a really smart way to go about it because i know a lot of lazy people these days and people that are just kind of going to walk into it, you know, willy-nilly. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, definitely what you're doing is really smart. Yeah, and I yeah. – But I have a quick question to add on to that. So, are, on these shifts, are you, like, the only person that's that's running around in the truck field? Uh, no. So, um, like I had mentioned just a couple minutes ago, we have an opening, opening guy and then a middle guy. So, the opening guy is still there. By the time I get there, he leaves at 1.30 in the afternoon. Uh, the middle guy there is Delta, or, or he's there till four o'clock. Um, so after four o'clock, I'm there running the show solo, till eight thirty. Yeah. Um, so how is that? How do you how do you hold up? Like if you're really really backed up or something, does that does that like do you feel a certain way like anxiety? Stress, oh, absolutely. Whatever? Yeah. Like if it's past. Absolutely. And. Because I'm assuming it, it gets busy around like between like the early afternoon hours. Yeah. But that's when you have help. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah. so do you like kind of collaborate with your with the people that are there and be like, hey guys, so you know we got these airliners coming in, we got these corporate jets. I want you to go here, 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 and I'm gonna go here, whatever. Yeah. So we do do that actually, and there's, I want to say there's an unspoken or written rule that the opening guy kind of has to say of where he wants people until he leaves. Um, yeah, because he's been there the longest. Yeah, and but fair enough. So it does. 
get anxiety inducing i'm not gonna lie like any other job there's there's times where it gets anxiety inducing and you're only you can only do so much yeah, but yeah. i have a an experience actually this past uh, what was it friday or saturday um i had one of those moments you know and uh i had a salt lake city flight that was landing they wanted a lot of fuel due to weather uh, that takes a while but i also had a corporate jet landing quite literally 30 seconds after salt lake landed and they were requesting a quick turn which means they want fuel and to leave within 10 15 minutes so so how do you how do, how would you prioritize that like does the airline get priority over corporate so or? in this case i was already on the airline side and airlines i want to say airlines get the priority um because if they get delayed on uh, because of us then we get charged and it looks bad um for that delay so um the corporate jets what i like to tell myself and what i told myself uh, when this happened friday or saturday if i forget exactly is at the end of the day i'm only one person um someone is gonna have to wait regardless um you'll get your fuel when you get your fuel i promise um even if you have to wait a little bit and that guy only only had to wait for about 12 minutes i think i, I counted um because as soon as i pulled up to the plane at salt lake i started pumping and put the pump on high because it was a lot of fuel it ended up being like 1300 gallons going into a salt lake flight so it took a while <laughs> but um as soon as i got done i i hurried on back and luckily his fuel request is only 100 gallons uh it was like 50 gallons aside in each wing so i did what i had to do and i was done so uh, yeah um it Not just much. comes back down to you know i'm only one person after four o'clock in the afternoon and I'm working in this extreme heat right now during the summer, and I'm doing my best. And oh yeah, that must yeah. That must be and that's bad. another thing is we we're we're working out in the elements, so weather and stuff definitely affects our performance. So more breaks, hydration, it's all very key to our performance. I'm gonna get off topic here. So you said hydration. Do you have anything specific you use? Because I work outside Monday through Friday, at least during this summer. And for where I live, it's unbearable. Mm -hmm. Like it's like hundred degree days. So I'm I'm right now I'm drinking liquid IV. I don't know if you know what that is. I'm getting really off topic, but it's 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 like pure electrolytes. And you you drink a bottle of that, dude, and you're like you're set for hours. Like you sweat it all out. You don't have to pee. Mm, I actually have not heard of that. But um, what I do, like I search it up. What's that? Search it up. Liquid I'll have IV. to do that after this. It's Liquid IV, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I personally, here, I, would have to. I mean, summer's coming. Summer's kind of coming to a close, but you know, if you if you're ever interested in having yeah, our summers, instead of spending eighteen dollars on Gatorade, that's true. No, that's very true. But um, what I do is, so I have a sixty-four ounce uh, water bottle. I easily go through four or five of those a day, but I also add uh, Gatorade and electrolytes and Powerade to that. Um, so I'm kind of balancing it all out and making sure that I'm staying well hydrated. I'm having my electrolytes. Um, so that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm, I do sweat a lot. So, um, it, it whatever I drink water wise, electrolyte wise, it's coming right back out. And then it's, I'm having to drink all day, every day. And I always bring my water bottle with me wherever i'm going because i could get busy and then 
I could get dehydrated really easily. So I, I always carry it around with me wherever I go. That's really smart. So I, um, so I, you know, have met um, a handful of other people who work, you know, in a very similar position to you, Craig. And, um, you know, ultimately everyone, you know, got their own start um, in the industry um, through a number of different ways. Um, but there may be some people who are listening, you know, who want to get that start of their own. Um, and part of that may be pursuing a job as a line service technician or, or some sort of similar role. So, so Craig, I guess a good question uh, to kind of start wrapping this up would be if, you know, if you had any advice to, uh, to give people who are interested in, in starting um, in a position like yours, uh, what would that advice be? Well, um, I guess the most important thing, first things first, is uh, you have to be 18 years old. You got to be a legal adult in the United States. Um, I started out working for an airline. Um, I was actually just finishing up high school. Um, I got hired on with a new airline, a contractor at the Tri Cities Airport for Avello. I didn't even know it was Avello at the time until a couple weeks later in training. So that was really awesome to be working for a new airline. Um, but I would say that honestly, every airport nowadays hiring all positions, whether that be working on the ramp, uh, being a baggage handler, uh, aircraft feelers, line service technicians, every position I know for sure is hiring somewhere. That's just because like we're, we're coming out of COVID where we had a, a, a lot of layoffs, um, you name it. Uh, I know a couple. That's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Or that's something that we've we've found to be talking about a lot. It's just the shortage of people in aviation, like not just pilots, but people in general, like all over the world. It's just crazy how how much pe- how much people in aviation. Exactly, it, it it takes a full team to make a, a one flight work. You know, you need your 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 ticket counters, you need your gates, you need your pilots, you need your flight attendants. It all needs to come together in one piece to make it work. Well, yes, machine. exactly. Yeah. So. I guess I would say is if you're really my advice is you really need to be interested in a job in this industry because personally for me when someone asks do you see yourself moving forward a lot or in the future staying with this company or your current job or staying in this industry and my answer is yes um, I do see myself staying within this industry for quite a while um, I would say having that is that aviation or is that is that working I, I would just say the aviation like industry. Mean? Um, because yeah, yeah. the okay. aviation industry is so vast, it could take you anywhere if you really want it to. Right. Right. Um, but what I was going to say, my main motivation, I would say, and, and um, advice is really have that strong desire and motivation to want to work in this industry uh, because that'll set you apart from anyone else. Because there's a, I, I know for, for me personally here, this airport I work for, there's unfortunately a high turnaround weight or high, high turnaround rate for, uh, employees at certain companies and that's just because they're not they don't have that motivation or they're not getting that support from the management which is a totally different story but um i would just say if you have that strong motivation and desire to want to work in this industry you know what you want go out and get it um it's going to take hard work of course but like anything else in life right now it's everything is hard everything is hard work so Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. My advice. Yeah. Go ahead. So. Yep. 
Yeah, so I think I think we talked about a lot here, but one more thing I wanted to ask you before we kind of wrap this up is, let's say like five, ten years down the line, where do you see yourself? And if you if you stay in the aviation industry, where do you think you see yourself? Working? Um, that's a that's a deep question. Um, I'm not. I'll be completely honest. I don't really know, but I would like to say, if you had a preference, like if you. If you could do anything in the aviation industry in ten, five, ten years, what do you think you would I would, do? I would say I'd have to stay with my current position, whether that be actually a line service technician or maybe I moved on to a bigger international airport just feeling airliners. Um, who knows? But I think I, I have found something that really is enjoyable. And I go I go to work every day excited to work. I'm not – I don't have – I don't dread working. I only dread working in the weather sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> but – um. You love what you do. You never That's work a day. That's exactly in your life, right. right. So, um, I think I, to kind of really wrap your their answer up to your question is yeah. I think I'd I'd say I'd see myself still doing what I'm doing ten years from now. Yeah. I mean, because that's just people who have a burning passion for aviation. Like, no matter what you're there really doing in the industry, you know, they're they're loving what they do. Because like, you don't really run into people who have a burning passion for, you know, something basic, but you see aviation there's all these people who love what they're doing who love their job and it's like they're they're so happy and enjoy enjoying the, themselves working like they're not even exactly, working exactly yeah like you see you see all these these up and coming you know pilots up and coming you know flight attendants gate agents rampers whatever yeah and and i was just traveling last week and everybody has a smile on their face you know no one's no one's really like oh woe is me i don't want to be here like it's just it's just this industry is just treats you exactly so well. yeah i guess that, that's the thing about I this industry let jared yeah yeah like that's that's the thing about this industry you know um there are a lot of great opportunities to get involved like there are a lot of people out there who want to be pilots for example uh, but maybe they don't have a medical certificate or they can't like meet the qualifications to get one but that doesn't really matter because at the end of the day there are still doesn't, doesn't let make them lose their passion for aviation yeah and there are still plenty of opportunities to get involved you know like for me i work in the industry myself and you know every morning i wake up and you know Sometimes I'll admit I'm, I'm grog, you know, it's, I'm a little bit, you know, I feel a little bit groggy in the morning. It's hard to get up, whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, I wake up and I, you know, I get to tell myself, you know, I, I, it's not a matter of, oh, I have to go to work. You know, it's a matter of, I get to come to work. And, and I'm sure Craig, you, you share that same, um, mentality of, you know, I get to go to work. I yep. get this, you know, great opportunity to, um, to work in this job that, um, you know, I don't know how it was for you. Um, well, I guess, I guess you've been in the industry for, you know, about, um, almost two years yeah, now, I think. Just about almost two years. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I personally never expected to like, you know, like work like in the software space in aviation, like I do. Um, like I never really expected to do that, but, um, but it's, you know, something that I still, uh, very much enjoy and, um, you know, and, I just want to kind of emphasize with, with Craig, with your position, um, it's a very important job. And, um, you know, just like being a pilot, you know, it's a very important job. Flight attendant, you know, that's a very important job. Just like ramp agents, you know, that's a very important job. And that goes back to the well-oiled machine. Like everybody works together exactly. to make it work. Gotta, you got to have everybody. Yep. And that's, you know, that's really what it all comes down to. It comes down to, you know, everyone working together to play that, you know, important role, um, you know, in, 
the on-time departure or arrival of a flight, and that's you know or the departure at all. Exactly. That matter. You know, you don't have these with all these cancellations you don't have, nowadays. You don't have these people um, working in these positions, such as a line service tech, ramp agent, gate agent, pilot, flight attendant, whatever. Um, you know, nothing is you know going to get done. These passengers aren't going to get from point A to point B. So, um, Craig. Um, I think I speak for all of us when uh, when I say thank you for taking the time to uh, to join us for this episode, and uh, of course, um, our previous episode as well. We really appreciate yeah, my it, pleasure. and uh, we appreciate and uh, thank you for all you do um, in service of uh, the tens of thousands of passengers that departures. fly out of the Tri Cities Airport yeah, every year. Yeah, of course. It's, thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed talking about this, and uh, it's it's really fun to spread the word about the aviation industry and how vast it's continuing to grow. Uh, post COVID, if you will, and uh, how it continues to improve and get busier and busier. So I've really had a great time. Awesome. And, and I think it goes without saying, you're always welcome to join us. Um, so Craig, thank you for being with us. And that is all from us. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lot Up and Wait podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LUAW underscore podcast and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash LUAW podcast. Well, you've been holding a position for more than 90 seconds. So with that, you are clear for takeoff.